This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Awesome. Well, good morning, Oasis. How y'all doing this morning? Awesome. Y'all got your coffee. Y'all feeling good? Good. So glad to hear it. Well, hey, uh, good morning. My name is Josh White, and before we even get started today, I just want to put honor where honor is due. Um, I've gotten to know Pastor Aaron now. My goodness, man, it's almost close to 10 years that we've got, got to know each other, and been able to see him and his ministry here at Oasis and also as well as uh, Pastor Dan. And y'all, like, just so you know, from, from an outsider's view looking in, you have such a beautiful culture here. You have such a dynamic community here. And so I just want to give honor where, where honor is due. Can we just put our hands together and thank your pastors for what they do here at this church? Awesome. Also, I woke up this morning. Um, I came in last night from, from Bakersfield. And, you know, I am fighting a gnarly cold. I don't know if it's the, the dust here. I, I lived here for a couple years. I absolutely love Las Vegas, but I don't really like the dust. And so my, 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 I almost said my nasal cavities, I think that's the right term. My nose is just all kinds of stuffed up. So bear with me through, through today. Hey, we are launching this new program, this new, what we're calling a movement in San Francisco called Canvas College. Um, just to give you a little bit of some background with that, I took um, a different role at our church this last year. I took more of a pastoral role, and one of the things I was handed was a college internship ministry. And I went to school for ministry, and I ended up going through school for about four and a half years. I, I went longer because, you know, I'm not very good at math. And I, I studied music, and I realized I didn't need about three quarters of what I learned in that school because I realized halfway through that my calling was different than what I thought it was going to be. And so what we want to do is help young people discover who they are, to discover their identity, or simply just to discover the leader that God has created them to be. And we get to now partner with Southeastern University out in Lakeland, Florida. And y'all, we are able to provide a two-year ministry certification program, a two-year fully college-accredited uh, Associate of Arts program for less than $10,000. I don't know if you know, that's really cheap when it comes to school. Um, but we also have a grant that the government has given us where if you apply for this college, 99% of our students so far have been able to be accepted to that grant. And you're actually able to go to school for $2,500 for two years. To be on staff with a church and to receive a two-year AA program. We want to defy that system. We want to beat that epidemic that's called student loans and debt in our millennial generation. And we see that this is a beautiful way to do that. Like Pastor Aaron said, my name is Josh. Um, I live in San Francisco, California. I absolutely love it out there. I, like I said earlier, I lived here for a couple years. And I love, I just love the West Coast all in general. Um, I'm a pastor out there. And I absolutely love the Bay Area and what the movement that God is doing in that area. Um, and as Pastor Aaron said, I, I was able to write a book a couple of years ago. And for the better part of 2017, I spent a good amount of time writing this book. It's called Makers and Monsters. And a huge part of what I focused on was finding the artist that God has called you to be, finding your inner artist, and fighting off your inner critic. I already know what you're thinking. I already know what you're thinking. You're probably here saying, Josh, I'm, I'm not a painter. I'm not a poet. I'm not a musician. I literally do nothing creative in my life. I, I'm not an artist. Well, let me just debunk that 
real quick. See, I firmly believe that God created all humanity with a very unique soul, that who you are is unique compared to everyone else in life, that simply put, you are original content. And therefore, the life that you build, the the life that you create, that makes you an artist at work, and that makes the life that you're creating a work of art. But see, I also firmly believe that the, the worst enemy that we have in our lives is ourselves. Case in point, we are our own worst enemies when it comes to calling and living this life that we are called to create. We let these lies creep into our souls. What I call in the book monsters creep into our souls. Lies like insecurity, inadequacy, feeling like you have to be perfect at everything, feeling like you just have to be good enough. And I absolutely love that song, that old hymn that we sang this morning, then sings my soul, who I am. It sings out to my Savior because he is great, which means I don't have to be good enough because Jesus is more than enough. Amen, church. So for a better part of 2017, I spent looking at this content and what I really want to talk about today actually applies. It's so crazy how this worked out applies so perfectly about going into this next sermon series that you guys are starting next week over uh, looking at truth over uh, just uh, society's opinion on how we should live our lives. When I was writing this book, there's one major thing that I realized that we all are creating at the same time. At the same time, we are all creating the future together. You are all creating your future at the same time. The, the very next step that you take, the ne- next path that you choose to step on, with your next inhale in, as you exhale out, you are creating your future. And I think all of us have had beautiful examples of what the future looks like, be- beautiful people who have made such a prominent example of what living out their future really means. I mean, we just celebrated MLK Day. What a beautiful illustration of what it means to bring racial reconciliation, togetherness in America. Uh, You have people like Michael Jordan, an amazing sport icon who defied what it meant for a black man to go into the NBA and become one of the greatest superstars in all of history. And maybe for some of you here who may uh, need to confess this sin, your example was Hannah Montana or someone like that. And I hope you'll be at the altar once this uh, message is done today, because that is a cardinal sin in my book. Um, But we've all had people in our lives who show us what it means to create a beautiful future. And I think we all can also say that we've had people in our lives who show us the complete opposite of that, what it means to absolutely destroy our future and even destroy the people's future around us. Ironically, for me, that was my second grade art teacher. Her name was Mrs. Shreves. If that name alone doesn't send shudders down your spine, Mrs. Shreves. Now, listen, I, I understand I was, to put it lightly, I was stubborn as a child. I always asked questions. I had a major authority problem 
when I was growing up, for some reason, I just wanted to know, why do I have to do what you're telling me to do? Is it effective? Why do I have to do it? Tell me. And usually that meant I would get grounded for two weeks. But I also did this with my teachers. And, you know, I was a daydreamer when I was in school. I, I, I loved to dream, like, what my future would look like, what God was kind of calling me to. And my art teachers seemed to always want to bring me down in some way. And I remember this one particular day. Um, my art teacher asked us to make these paper mache wind chimes. Now, even as a second grader, I realized a wind chime is usually made out of what? Out of metal. You know why? Because it makes sound. When you put two pieces of paper together, guess what they don't do? They don't make a sound. Y'all got it? I see those, those heads shaking. So our art teacher wanted us to make these paper mache wind chimes. There was such a paradox inside of this, this art project. And I asked her, why do we have to do this? This seems ineffective. Can I please just go do something else? And I, she probably told my mom I probably got grounded. But I remember specifically, I remember her saying, Josh, just stop asking questions. Put your head down and do the project. So I did what, you know, every good seven-year-old would do. And I didn't do that. I took the art project into my own hands. And this is what I did. I made this paper mache wind chime that she wanted us to make. Except um, I went over to this little area in our art room where we had all these like leftover pieces of art from other projects. Sure enough, I found these like little shards of like plastic and metal and the, the nine, early 90s were weird, y'all, okay? So, like, I found, like, these, like, pieces of metal in a schoolroom um, that were basically just left over from another art project. And I decided to uh, glue those onto my paper mache wind chime. So I did that first so it would make sound. But then also our art teacher, she told us it was springtime. I want you to paint this vibrant colors. Now, if you all notice, I, I'm not a very vibrant guy, okay? Like, Black is kind of my natural attire. So I did what I wanted to do, and I painted the whole thing black. And I had this paper mache wind chime with shards of metal all over it, painted black. It looked like I had this, like, medieval battle weapon and not some, like, beautiful, delicate little art project. And I remember my art teacher going desk to desk to desk saying, good job, thumbs up, high five, you get an A+. And for some reason, in my second grader head, I'm thinking, she's going to love this art project. That's not what happened. Um, she gets to my desk, and I hold up what looks like a, a Viking uh, piece of weaponry. And I go, this is what I made. And she looks at it, and she goes, what is that? And I said, well, I made some adjustments to this art project. And she cuts me off. She grabs my paper mache wind chime, and she says, I'm throwing this away, and you get an F. Y'all, I was seven years old. Do, do you realize what type of emotional trauma that can do in a seven-year-old's life? Seven-year-old, and I fail art class. Um, I remember, though, if there's two things that I remember, it's, it's this. Number one, I think we can all agree with this, that um, my art teacher was the devil, right? <laughs> Straight up Satan right there. And, and number two, number two is this. 
I went home that day feeling like an absolute failure. Because the thing that I had created, the thing that I had, do, I had done was a failure. Therefore, I automatically assumed that who Josh was, who I was, at the core of my existence, that I was a failure. And I realized, I started carrying this emotional uh, platitude in my heart as I went forward in life. I get into junior high and you're not skinny enough to be in the popular crowd, or you get into high school, your grades aren't good enough to get into the college you want. You get into a college, and you don't get the internship because you're just not good enough, and you don't get the job out of college because you're not good enough, and you're just not good enough. I slowly started to believe this lie that God had created a mistake. Have you ever been there before? Ever been in this place where you feel like I'm, I'm not pretty enough, I'm, I'm not disciplined enough, I'm, I'm just not good enough? You see, all of us have been designed to do something specific with our lives. All of us are original content. All of us have a unique design and calling on our lives. God has imagined us to imagine what the future looks like, and he has called us to create something within our lives. But so many times in life, we choose the regular mediocre and comfortability because we feel like we are simply not good enough to live out that calling. Have you ever been there before? Been in that place where you just feel like, I, I need to stay here, <laughs> where it's safe, where it's comfortable. I, I have this passion that burns in the deep and dark corners of my heart and in my soul, but I don't think I'm good enough to do what I feel like God's called me to do in my life. This whole idea, it reminds me of the story of, of Gideon. And, and throughout Scripture, we have so many different characters who show us that the underdog The weakest of the weak, the lowest of the low can rise up to be this person that can spearhead the next generation, to spearhead what their future looks like. And Gideon is one of those people. If you don't know about the story of Gideon, Gideon simply was this person, this this farm boy who turns into God's mighty warrior. At this time in Israel's history, Israel was under captivity with this nation called Midian and God asked Gideon to rise up to take over the Israelite nation army. And with this like military creative genius, Gideon goes into battle and defeats this entire nation with just simply 300 warriors. See, we talk so much about that end game with Gideon, how he became this warrior for God. But a lot of times we, we forget about the very beginning of the story of Gideon. See, Gideon, the very beginning of his life, he, he wasn't a warrior. He, he wasn't even a servant of God. He was just simply a farm boy. And we're gonna, that's where we're going to pick up today in Judges, excuse me, Judges chapter 6, uh, verse number 11. It says this. This is the first time we see Gideon. One day, the angel of God, he came to Gideon, who was threshing wheat in the wine press out of sight of the Midianites. And the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Now, we're just going to stop right there real quick. Look at what that first verse says. That Gideon, 
the angel of God comes to Gideon, and Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, y'all, I grew up in the middle of farmland, Indiana, USA. It's, that's heaven right there, if you weren't aware. Um, Indiana, the farmland, kind of, not really. But um, if you know anything about threshing wheat, it's this. It's a dirty and it's a messy job. Now combines take care of that because it's messy and it gets everywhere. And we see Gideon doing this messy job in a barn out of sight of the Midianites, hiding away from the enemy. This doesn't sound like God's mighty warrior to me. It says this, that he was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites, and the angel of God appears to him, and he says, God is with you, O mighty warrior. And this is Gideon's response. With me, my master, if God is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and our grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. He has turned us over to the enemy. God's mighty warrior, hiding away, complaining, about the issue that's at hand. Again, this does not sound like God's mighty warrior to take them into into battle and to defeat the Midianites. I love this next verse. But God faced him directly. Y'all remember like like, when you were kids and you like low-key talk back to your parents and they just turn around and they just like look you into the eye as if they're staring into the depths of your soul? I feel like this is what God's doing. God faced him directly, and he says this, Go in the strength that is yours. Go in the strength that you already have, and save Israel from Midian. Haven't I, God, just sent you? And again, this is Gideon's reply. With, with me, God, with me, my master, I mean, how and with what? Could I ever save Israel? I mean, look at me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and he says this, and I am the runt of the litter. Second time that God has called Gideon into his future, into his calling, and Gideon first complains about it, and then says, but hold up, God. I'm, I'm not good enough to be that. I'm just a farm boy. I can hide away and make sure that our people can eat, but you want to call me into this identity, into this thing? Everyone around me, they're all so much better than me. Look at my tribe. Look at my family. We are literally the weakest of the weak. Then even in my family, I'm the lowest of the low. I'm the weakest of the weak of the weakest of the weak. I am the runt of the litter. And God says to him, I will be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. See, what we see here is God calling Gideon into his future, into the identity that God had created Gideon to live. But what was Gideon's response? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to live out this calling God. This is what we see. You see, Gideon had decided for himself 
Gideon had decided for himself. He was not good enough. You see, God was choosing Gideon, but Gideon kept denying his future. Gideon had what I would consider this monster inside of him, this monster of inadequacy, this, this lie of insecurity. Gideon had this voice and this lie in his head saying, I'm not good enough. This is what I love about the whole story of Gideon. Do you realize not one time, not one time did God ever call him Gideon. He always called him God's mighty warrior. Why is that? God didn't know him as Gideon, the farm boy. See, God had known him as Gideon, God's mighty warrior. That was the namesake. That was the moniker. That was the lineage and the legacy that God knew Gideon had in him. And God simply didn't know him as the weakest of the weak. But Gideon had decided for himself, that's my identity. See, Gideon knew my name is Gideon the farm boy. But God was calling him to be Gideon, God's mighty warrior. I wonder if some of us today are carrying that wrong name in our lives. We've been carrying around for years and years this name of I'm not good enough, this name of I have to be perfect and I can't reach perfection, this name of inadequacy, this name of insecurity, this name of I just can't live up to that. See, this is where Gideon was at. Gideon was at this point where he's saying, I'm not good enough. And here's something I think all of us need to be reminded of today, that God has already chosen you. Now, you just have to choose yourself. God already chose you. Now choose yourself. And can I just give you some ammunition for this? There's so many times in Scripture where God calls us into what uh, he says about us. Simply put, the next time you get in this place where you go, I'm simply not good enough, just think about 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says this at the very beginning of this verse, that God picked you out from the very start. You know what that means? It means that God has chosen you. He has adopted you. He has already called you into a beautiful, forward, future-making life. See, God already chose you. Now you have to choose yourself. And let me just give you a little bit of uh, some some little mechanical, tangible idea and advice here. The next time you get in this place where you know I'm being called into something I feel like I'm not good enough to live out, I want you to ask yourself three questions. Three questions is this. Who do I say that I am? Who does God say that I am? And which one are you going to believe? Because God tells us, that he has adopted us from the very start, that he has chosen you, that he has called you, and he wants you to create this life that is beautiful for him. See, God has already chosen you. Now it's time maybe for you to choose yourself. This is only one side of the coin, though, with Gideon. You see, Gideon had to choose himself to walk into God's calling, but Gideon also had to make the choice to step into that calling. So Gideon had to make the choice to step into that future. You see, all of us have this choice in front of us today. All of us have this opportunity that is right 
in front of us, to walk into the future that God has created us to create, that he has imagined a world where we can walk into the wonder that is a future, and we have to make the choice to take that risk. Because I can tell you this right now, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to take risk after risk. But God is calling you into that wild. He is calling you into this open journey, into this great unknown. And we simply have to make the choice to walk into that identity, to walk into the thing that God has called you to create. I think a lot of times in our lives, a lot of times when you walk into the future, into a new moment, without understanding that God has chosen you, without understanding that you have to make the choice to walk into that, we've just walked into that moment without any momentum. That we've just walked into that moment saying, today is just another day. Today is simply just another day that I have to live my life, wake up and go to work. And I know this is not what God has designed me to do. This is not what God has called me to do. But what if you took that risk today? I would even go as far as to say, what if you put in that risk of putting in your two-week notice and pursuing that life that God has designed you to create? When you walk into a moment without any momentum, you're simply living that comfortable and mediocre life. As I was writing this book, I, I, I had the opportunity to learn about this poet and her name is Ruth Stone, and Ruth Stone, she's 85 years old, y'all, still, uh, still writing poetry. She grew up in the hills of western Virginia, and Ruth, she started writing poetry when she was just a small girl at the age of five years old, and she would say this, and she would say that when she was out working in the fields, that she would feel like this poem, even as a small little girl, that this poem would come to her. And this is what she said. She says this, that it was like a thunderous train of air, and it would come barreling down at me over the landscape. It would shake the earth under my feet. And I knew I had only one thing to do at that point. She said that she would have to run as fast as she could back to the house as she would be chased by this poem. This is like some voodoo stuff right here be chased by this poem. She says this, I would have to, as a little girl, I would have to get to a piece of paper fast enough so when this poem with thunder threw me, I could collect it and I could grab it onto the page. And other times, she says, I wouldn't be fast enough and I would be running and running and I couldn't get to the house quick enough and the poem would barrel through me and I would miss it. And that poem would continue across the landscape looking for another poet. She goes on and says this, that there was a few times where I would almost miss the opportunity to write this poem. She said that she would just get to the house just as quick as she could get to it, and as soon as she would get to the house, she would grab the pencil, and she says this, that as a little girl, she would physically reach out and catch the poem by its tail and that she would pull it into her body as she would start to transcribe it onto the paper. This is what I want you to get. And then she would say this. Ruth said, I would say to the poem that you are mine, and this is my opportunity. And so it is with your future. So it is 
with the future that God has called you create, to create. You see, we have you, this unique and divine opportunity to walk into the great unknown, to walk into our open wild, to see what God has for us in our life. And all we have to do is say, this is my opportunity, God, that you have given me. And I choose, I make the choice to walk into it. You see, Gideon had to choose himself because God had already chosen him. He had to pick up that identity. But then he had to make the choice to step into that future. If there's anything, anything I want you to walk away with today, it's simply this, that your life, your fully alive life, it is waiting for, it is waiting for you on the other side of your choice, your life, everything that God has created you to create, everything that he has imagined for you to imagine, every single piece of your identity that he has called you into, it simply waits on your choice. And that life, a full life, a life that is filled with Jesus is on the other side of that choice. If there's anything Anything that I want to leave with you today, it's simply this question. What will you choose? What will you choose? You see, we have two options here. We can choose a life, a life that's mediocre, status quo, that is comfortable. We can choose to live our day after day after day, living in this identity of I'm just not good enough. Or you have the opportunity to walk into the wild, into the great unknown, into that open journey that is God saying, I have designed you to create the future. You see, if there's anything, anything that we need to do as Christians, as believers, if there's anything that this church needs to do to spearhead the movement that is Jesus in this life, we have to pick up our identity, be the first people on the very beginnings of the battleground, and cry out and say, God, I am here. I am here. I step up. I volunteer. Everything that you have designed me to be, God, I I am here, and I'm ready, and I'm willing. And then that monster, that lie, it'll creep into you. And it'll say, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to live out this life. My friends, do not listen to those lies. Do not listen to that identity, but simply listen to the maker who made you, the creator who created you, that says, come and follow me. That says, I have created you to simply change the world. I have created you to make a movement, to make an impact on people's lives. Today, friends, maybe we become the makers that God has made us to be. Today, may we silence and declare warfare against our monsters. And if anything, may today be the first day of the rest of your life. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.